cue Lady Gaga's bad romance because it's about to get toxic as fuck in the house of Day Point Duloc and Day Lion Corps in this latest episode of Interview with the Vampire. Stay tuned. Welcome, welcome, welcome back to another episode of Midnight Social Distortion. This is your host, Marco Estes, and I'm returning this week to give you a review of the next episode in the Interview with the Vampire series on AMC called After the Phantoms of Your Former Self. Now, last week was just a magical journey into the world of Anne Rice's The Vampire Chronicles, and I could not get I guess I couldn't like geek out enough last week so before I jump into this new episode I want to make some clarifications last week um on some stuff I said in that episode um basically I kept calling um Louise Paramore not her that's Paramore but the prostitute the sex worker who he befriended um I think I called her Lucky her name was Lily and I didn't understand how I constantly messed up her name and butchered her name or got it mixed up, but I am sorry about that for those who listen and probably like cringing every time I said lucky. And one other thing that I completely didn't see until I watched the episode for the third time this past week, and that was the fact that Louis' brother Paul mentioned the Mayfair witches at the beginning of the episode in the scene where the family is sitting around the breakfast table and he is being, he's complaining about um, Grace jumping the broom at her wedding. And he pretty much says that if you want a broom, the Mayfair witch, the Mayfair sisters down on first street has a, plenty of them. And Grace um, got mad and said, mama, he's calling me a witch. And I'm like, Oh my God, I cannot believe I missed that. The worlds are like solidified. I'm here for it. And I'm just loving that they're already dropping Easter eggs and nuggets in the show already to, uh, or rather, I like to call them seeds, for the seeds to grow later on down the line for the extended universe of Anne Rice's works, which is actually called the Immortal Universe. Um, so I'm excited that there's a universe. I, a friend of mine told me I've been spoiled by Marvel Cinematic Universe and whatnot, but I'm not spoiled. I just like the concept of a big universe of characters to play around in. And that didn't come from really Marvel. It came from Stephen King and his works when it came to um, most of his stories taking place in like the same timeline and the same, you know, universe. Like you have, you know, the towns of Derry, um, Jerusalem's Lot, 
Um, I'm trying to think of another. It's Castle Rock. <laughs> so it's just when you hear something connects to when you hear that something connects to something else. But when I hear when something connects to something else, and I'm one of their, I'm their fanboys. Like, oh, I, I caught that. I caught that reference. I'm the, I'm the, I'm that person. So I just like to hear shit like that. It gets me very excited for what's to come, and that they're not going to. It's also a confirmation that they're not going to try to place these separately into separate universes. Um, even though the I discovered this past weekend that the Mayfair Witches show is actually going to be. Uh, AMC Plus exclusive and I know the events in this show might not coincide with what's going on with Interview of the Vampire or any of the other adaptations down the line of the Vampire Chronicles because that is a lot of work to set up for the crossovers um, if you read the books you know that the initial um, the three books of the Mayfair Witches um, series is pretty much very con- it's very vast and the first book, The Witching Hour, is over a thousand pages long. I'm gonna be honest enough, friend, with y'all. I have not gotten through that book yet, but I have read you no know, snippets of The Witching Hour. I actually tried to start with last year, and I realized you can't do that with the Witching uh, with the Mayfair Witch books, but you can do that with the Vampire Chronicles. So I do know that the first book that pretty much ties them both together outside the fact that the Talamasca appears in both series um, the organization I mentioned I think in the first episode that pretty much looks or they chronicle the supernatural um, events of the world in this universe but the first book that really brought the Mayfair witches and the vampires together was Merrick and that was when most of Anne Rice's later books in this series were pretty much combinations of both characters. You had Merrick, then you had um, Blood Canticle, and then, I mean, excuse me, it was Merrick, then Blackwood Farm, then Blood Canticle. So, and I think, I don't know if they, I don't know, because I haven't read any of the later books past Blood Canticle, even though I own them. But I don't know if the Mayfair witches appear in Prince um, Lestat or Prince Lestat and um, the, I think it was called something dealing with Atlantis and Blood Communion. I don't know if the um, Mayfair witches, Deidre, Rowan, or any of those people appear in those books. But uh, enough of the Mayfair witches for right now. Um, Let's get into this second episode, which was very jam-packed for 52 minutes um i feel like i was watching two episodes because you start off at the beginning of episode two which picks up from at the end of episode one in the narrative in the uh, flashback narrative rather and it kind of like jumps a few years because louis does mention that his business um, expanded between the years of 1912 to 1917. So I'm thinking like that's a vast lot of time they didn't crossed over. So yeah, it's a lot, but I am ready to discuss it. And I want to start off first with the show picked up where with Daniel Malloy being in the, I guess, dining room of Louis towering building which is in Dubai which we knew from the first episode but 
there's a noise that you can hear called the groan. And Rashid, who is Louis' familiar, tells, you know, Daniel to not worry about it. You know, it's nothing. It's just the weight of the building. And I'm wondering how big this building is and which one was it in the <laughs> opening credits when we first started watching episode one. Also in this scene, Daniel is admiring a painting by none other than Marius. And they've mentioned Marius, which I'm so excited because we know he is a big figure in the Vampire Chronicles universe. So very glad they went ahead and dropped that Easter egg on us. And Daniel, I realized, asked the proper questions that we as the audience want to know. And for instance, like who is Rashid to Louis, even though Louis and to some extent Rashid in this instance kind of like they like avoiding Daniel's questions, Um, which is sort of frustrating, though, but you can't expect to get the answers right up front you have to like work for them or just be patient for them to come but the fact that daniel's already asking the questions that we are asking is um is, is you know uh, is amazing because we i'm thinking he's just not asking them to be you know um passive aggressive or whatever you want to call it he's just asking the questions that need to, that probably would be a big you know factor into the later part of the show um but Louis comes down and he and um, Malloy decide to keep up, I mean, to continue the conversation or the the interview over dinner. And there's seven courses, and or there might it seemed like it was more than seven courses because Louis appeared at the seventh course, and there was like two to four more courses after that. So this was an extensive dinner. I don't think i would ever be invited to a dinner that has that many courses i think i would tap even though i love to eat i think i would tap out at the fourth or fifth maybe and it depends on what they're serving you know and how much the servings is or or, or how much how much the servings are so but they continue and they pick up at stott and louis disposing of the bodies of the priests and it's here where Louis's transformation is complete in the graveyard. And he sees like all these bright lights and this new, it's like he's taking in the new world and it's beautiful. I can't think of any other word to say besides it just looked very beautiful, very iconic (laughs) i just don't have words for it because it's just amazing how they pulled it off and even though you thought he kind of hinted it at the end of the first episode he really didn't get the full experience until after they dumped the bodies of the priest that's when his body kind of like finished the transformation and the way he just his eyes fixated on the world his look of joy and amazement and Oh, it was just beautiful. I think jo- Jacob Anderson did a fucking great job with that whole scene. And I mean, the whole entire episode, he was amazing. But that is like a big, strong point for me in that episode. Um, so Louie, I mean, so Lestat takes um, Louis out on his first hunt, which is still the same night. And they end up at a bar. And it's something I want to mention um, that 
Louis mentioned that he said walking the world as a dead man, but now that he that he was walking the world as a dead man, but now that he is actually dead, he can finally receive the secrets of existence. I felt that was pretty poetic uh, because, especially as a black man, it's like you know that this you know. I mean, I I, don't, I can go deep into that in the whole episode of the podcast, but it just it, it hits differently for a gay black man. You know, you feel like you unseen and, you know, you just locked out of everything that's uh, in front of you and you get this new power. And it just like it, it 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 pulls the veil back a little bit, but you can pick up on all the nuances and, you know, context of a lot of stuff around you and just the like you said, the predatory nature, um, it's very intriguing, you know, but, um, and when they get to the bar, they, instead of Louis automatically gets attracted to, or he is, his hunger gets attached to one of these sailors. And, but Lestat tells him, no, no, instead of going big for your first kill, you should go lower and pretty much let the prey walk, uh, walk, into your lap instead of you being like complete hunter because he's not ready for all of that yet. His bloodlust is not that it's 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 fresh and it's not well um is well defined or just well honed or you know to the point where it, he can like be you know slick with his keys. Oh excuse me. So um basically they decide to pick up on this wayward salesman who says he's selling tractors louis is just looking like i don't give a shit what the fuck you're talking about i don't care about your daughter or her fucking ponies and what she wants and stuff like that i just want to drink and the thing about the salesman was like um he he he, he went back to the house with them and i'm thinking to myself why would you go back to the house with these two men to sell tractors if you can't um, seal the deal at the bar then it's just like go to the next customer a part of me feels like this man was looking for a little bit of sex on the way because he's a traveling salesman and he doesn't have to worry about um being at home and getting caught by his wife or anybody in the neighborhood that knows who he is He's just here in New Orleans where everybody's getting their rocks off you know all the vices are flowing you know the the, um, the fuckery the debauchery and everything is going down and he wants a little taste of it. You know what I'm saying? And, um, I'm thinking he went back cause he tried to clarify like, Oh yeah, we're just going here to just do uh, talk tractors. Right. I'm like, that's the wrong question to ask. You should have asked that back at the bar. I'm not saying that you're in their house and they have the right to do whatever they want to do to you. That's not what I'm saying. It's just that he was already on edge. That's, this is how I'm reading it. He was already on edge and I don't know if his demeanor was, um, I, I don't know if it was just a ploy, but like even the fact that he said, and the fact, even though he said he had a daughter and all this stuff, and I'm thinking to myself, like, that's a good sales tactic to make somebody be, you know, um, fall into the thralls of trying to buy this tractor or the, this, this sale gimmick. But I don't know. I just, it was just something about him that, it didn't rub me the wrong way. It just, I'm like, yeah, he was with the shits though, but he was trying to be not so blatant about it. However, um, of course, Louis, um, has Lestat, Lestat has Louis take him out and his first kill and watching Louis 
learn how to suck instead of bite the blood. It was just it was funny, but you know, interesting at the same time. But there's something that Lestat says when I, like earlier when I've mentioned that he has this rule about not going after big game. At this point in the episode, it is um valid. It makes sense. You know, no don't ever go after anybody that is like well known that especially in the local area that everybody will be looking for if something happens to them. Um, this is probably why Lestat went after like, you know, low stewards and people who are pretty much passing by or, you know, the prostitutes, the sex workers, the, you know, homeless and drunkards and whatnot, you know, they're easy prey because nobody's really looking for them. Um, but, and this brings me to the salesman who I had to go back and rewatch to realize that he's traveling. Like I said earlier, he's a traveling salesman, which means that in this point in time, like in the 1910s, you know, somebody goes missing. They probably got, you know, people probably went missing a lot during that time period because especially when they're traveling, because there's so much there, there's not a connected tissue in terms of communication. Like in terms of like, there's no internet back then. There's no, easy car or telephone system or you know something like that to sit there and be like have you checked in with your family while you're on the vacation and stuff like that everything was done by letter and lord knows how long it took for a letter to get you know to point a to point b back then so it was a it was a probably a big playing ground for vampires and whatnot um to just or witches or if um they want to include the werewolves into this a mythology you know it's a vast area for them to just get rid of um transient people on a regular basis but nowadays you can't play that you, you can't you can't do this shit somebody might be traveling they might be on their own you you know it's gonna be a it's gonna draw attention and even though i'm sure the vampires have a way of like deflecting attention off of them it just seems like it would be harder to do in today's society than it would be back then so this is why they um Lestat was running mad in the streets um and nobody really saying anything because he knew how to get rid of the right people um so the thing that Lestat is not getting with after because after Louis takes the life of that salesman he it's disgusted, you know, because, you know, I mean, I just took a life and I don't, I don't like the way he's looking and I don't, I'm not cool with this. And he has a moment of like, I have to get back home. I have to go do return back to my world and this, this and that. And the starts like, you know, you can't, this is your home now. And, but Louis, you no know, head, you know, is not in the game yet. So he runs out and it's dawn. And so he ends up getting burnt walking home trying to walk home and in front of like a mil a milkman, you know, uh, which is, you know, interesting that he got away from that <laughs> because if that's the area that Louis usually works in and somebody can sit there and recognize him and be like, Oh yeah. Did you not know that motherfucker turned and start like burning when the sun hit him? And he was, he doused a big glass of a big um, bottle of milk on him. And he had all these burn marks on him and stuff. But I guess people back then just, you know, I don't know if they were used to crazy shit or they were just like, you know, eh, whatever. But he makes his way back to Lestat's place and Lestat explains to him that, you know, the sun is not good for him. 
not good for Derek Kind. And this brings me to the um thing that I kind of like um didn't understand that uh Louis didn't grasp the concept of a vampire even though I had to remind myself that instead of this being the um, 30s, this is the 20s. And I don't know if Nosferatu, the movie, had made its way to America yet. And if, if Louis even bothered to watch it, if Louis even bothered to read a book about vampires like, you know, Dracula or anything like that. So he probably was not aware of this, you know, monster, this type of monster being out there. Um, I don't know if the Dracula even exists in the vampire chronicles universe i need to double check that but also um lestat is just feeling like you know louis should have gave in to this you know being a vampire by now or not just by now but he just like you know that louis he, he's like can't understand why louis not getting it he's being patient right now but you know towards the end of the episode you can see his patience is wearing thin and this is um one of the few instances I remember referred to the um, books while reviewing the episode. If you read the Vampire Lestat and if you are familiar with Vamp- um, Lestat's um, past, he wasn't as family oriented as Louis is. Um, Louis has a very loving family. You know, he was very attached to his brother. He was attached to his sister. He's attached to his mother, you know. Even though him, his dad, you know, almost ran the um, family business to the ground, he seemed like he idolizes his father, you know, even though he made some mistakes. But in my recollection, and I mean, Lestat mentioned it in the uh, first episode when he was um, trying to glamour um, Paul. He was trying, but he's glamouring Paul. His dad and his brothers were like horrible. The only person he really cared about was his mother. And, um, not going to spoil anything for the vampire Lestat, but um, the book, I mean, but yeah, Louis' attachment to his family was very, you know, eh, so I, I'm not Louis, but I mean, Lestat's attachment to his family was very, uh, um, you know, it wasn't, it wasn't healthy, and, you know, because I think Lestat was turned in either the 15, 16, I know it was very, very long ago. And I mean, I mean, ain't several decades or um, centuries and stuff. So, um, I remember his being in a French castle. It was very, it was wintertime and he, he was like, he had this little pet wolf or something like that. Very Game of Thrones, this type situation. And yeah, um, he doesn't get the concept of family, because he didn't have a good family himself. So, and but you're not you're not realizing this watching the show, but just to give you context of why he's just pretty much like um brash um running into Louis, I mean Paul's funeral march and just being so disrespectful. Um just thinking that Louis can automatically cut off his family just like with the snap of a, uh, his fingers and it's like no you can't do that. But that's I'm gonna come back to that in the later part of the episode. Um, when the stats getting ready to get in bed with the coffin, he introduces to Louis. Louis's like, I don't want to, I'm not gonna sleep in it. And the stars like, We're gonna get you one eventually. And he lists all the attractions that New Orleans draw for a vampire. 
and it's it like again I said earlier, it makes sense. You know, um, you can't you have all these transient people coming through there. You have people who are running away to New Orleans to live a new life, and they're probably like I don't more than miles away. They're probably like cities and states away from home, and the only way you can contact somebody is if you you know sent them a letter or sent them a telegram or a wire or something like that. Um, but I mean, it's you, that's it's it's a good playing ground because you can clearly sneak in, do as they do, like take the little drink and you know, glamour the person to forgetting that this happened and then go to the next night. You know, they can sit there and feed all they want to. It's a playground for them. But yeah, so I mean, the way he explained it, it just like that's one of the reasons why I felt like when you go to New Orleans, you kind of. I don't say you equate, but you kind of like um, you. What's the word I'm looking for? You identify like all the supernatural creatures there, whether it's a vampire, or a wolf, or I mean, I mean a werewolf or a witch or any other sort, any other sort, ghosts. You know, because it's just that's the place where that's it's like it's kind of like it's a uh, hell mouth of sorts for like, you know, supernatural entities and stuff like that to play or to um, congregate and, you know, just, you know, live the afterlife, you know, whatever. But I liked how he explained it to Louis, what I'm trying to say. One final thing about this scene is that, you know, when Lou, um, Lestat gets into the um, coffin and he tells Louis, you can get on top. I kind of calculated at that because <laughs> we know what's going on with that. Uh, and so Lestat, I mean, when Louis and Daniel are talking and as Louis get, is telling this part of the story, he's saying that, you know, uh, I just felt that me and Lestat in the dark were equally, um, were equal in the quiet dark. And this brings up, you know, Daniel pokes the bear when he says you know he makes a note saying white master black student but equal in the quiet dark um because that's what it it it, it, it it's kind of like daniel is picking up on where lestat is not saying that lestat is trying to um have this uh, slave master slave relationship with louis it's far from that but it's just the fact that it, you cannot ignore those optics because you know you have even though louis i mean even though lestat treats louis as you know his partner his you know lover his you know equal it's just that you the optics still don't work especially with today's audiences or today's um or today's society in, in a sense so but it adds on to the complications of the relationship um and while they're doing this, um, I think this is their eighth or ninth course. And they bring out for Daniel another plate, I think, of rabbit that's been cooked. And then they bring Louie, uh, I don't know if it's a ferret or something they had tied up that was alive. And so this is where Louie asks um, Daniel that does he contemplate the life of the food that he eats before he eats or does he just dive right in and so louis dives into the neck of the ferret or whatever the damn creature was and you know at this point daniel's always playing off like he's unbothered about this whole situation like he's just you know like, oh yeah i'm 
this is nothing new to me. This is not exciting. He just seems like he's just there for the job. But it's clear that Daniel is very um, shook or clearly bothered, you know, about what's going on in front of him. But he's still keeping this cool, even though it slips sometimes. And this is where Louis says vampires are killers. They're apex predators whose all-seeing eyes give them... It helps them detach from the morality of being concerned about their prey. Um, and it makes sense because they can only, they, they see that this person, but they get ready to take them down. or just, you know, okay, I just sensed your entire life. You've lived a good life. Now I have to feed off of you. And he also mentions that having a hand at their end is like being a part of the divine plan. And it's kind of thrilling for a vampire. Um, which is kind of, you know, it's it's kind of like it's a, I say contradictory, but it's just like, I guess Louis by this time has gotten to the point where he knows what he is and he, or he rather knows the nature of the vampire and that he, he he's probably not, not a part of that yet. You know, he, or he's just never, he knows he'll never be a part of that, which comes later in the episode. But, you know, he gets the nature of the vampire and this is where David, um, not David, excuse me, Daniel tells him like, um, yeah, nobody's going to buy that when they read the book. And then Louis tells him like, that's the point. This story is a warning to, you know, humans and others. So Louis education on being a vampire is thrilling, yet it is still a reminder of how unequal they are, unequal he and Lestat are about, each other the dark gift takes away the gift of vampires reading each other's minds uh, i completely forgot about that part um when let me when let me take that back the dark gift a vampire can read the mind of another vampire as long as they did not sire them so in louis case lestat or lestat's case lestat cannot hear what louis is saying but Lestat could probably hear what is going on um, with vampires across the world. Uh, that's a facet of the um, Vampire Chronicles that I completely forgot about. And I need to go back and, you know, read, read, well, we read some books and stuff like that to get that, um, get that down pat. But I do remember that after they mentioned it, I was like, okay, that does make a lot of sense. Um, but at this point in time, um, Louis, I mean, Lestat is educating Louis on not just um, hunting, but on the mind reading of others. Um, even though to Lestat it's a boring thing because the only thing that humans think about is um, eating, fucking, and going home to sleep. And it's, you know, he says you can just listen to their voices or you can just listen to like a part of their 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 heart and then go from there. But Louis, I mean, Louis starts to realize that he can actually see flashes of these people's lives and whatnot, of their of their past, of their you know dreams and whatnot. And Lestat ensures assures him that as his powers grow, he's going to be able to do that a whole lot more. Um, and this is where the show goes, where um Louis actually does go back home to visit um his family and even though um, mama florence has seemingly seemingly forgiven forgiven has forgave uh or just gotten past rather 
the blame um, on blaming Louie about, you know, Paul's death, she still does not give two shits about Lestat. And I just think that Ray Don Chong's um, performance of Mama Florence is just funny because it's, she is all the way petty. And it's just, it's like another side of her. And once Paul died, it's just like her pettiness went to a whole, whole nother level. And every time you see her, she's saying something slick. And it's funny. <laughs> it's funny, but at the same time, um, it's kind of, you know, it's, I don't know, it's kind of sad because, you know, she's been kind of broken a little bit after leaving her husband and her one of her sons. And in a sense, both her sons, you think about it. So the only person she has left really that's a constant right now is her daughter, Grace. Meanwhile, you can tell that, um, you can tell that when Louis read his mom's mind and she could see that his nails are done real nicely and that his glasses are very you know showy for some for those type of men she said or those you know so she's already hip to you know that louis is like embracing who he is but at the same time there's a bit of um hesitance there when he come home because he hadn't seen them in like forever and he tells his mom after she says this mentally that he has to wear his shades to because he has sensitive eyes, he has to wear them for long periods of time to, you know, to hide his new, um, his new, um, eyeballs or his eye color went up, but this doesn't stop Grace from taking the glasses off and, you know, looking at the eyes, but not being startled or frightened, but just, you know, like, Oh, you know, this looks like it's working for you and whatnot. And, also, Louis sits there and hears two heartbeats in her um uh, in her stomach and realizes that his sister is getting ready to have twins. What shocked me about this is that you know in the first episode, um, Louis did not care for Lestat doing that to Paul or just doing any type of um vampiric tricks on Paul. But he's sitting here like not only doing it to his family now, but it's like they're not picking up on it. Like they're not asking questions, even though they did. I mean, you know, his uh, mama Florence was like, Oh, um, I guess he caught on to what I was saying, but she didn't sit there and say, did you read my mind or anything like that? Or she just looked kind of like bothered, just a little bit bothered. But Grace was like, Oh, so-and-so, so-and-so must've told you I was pregnant. You know, you know, he was like, no, nobody told me. And I'm like, yeah, they told me or, or he could have been like, you know, I just have a feeling this is what it is. He could have just played it off. But he was like, um, no, um, you're going to have twins and you're going to need this money I'm giving you right now. And, you know, and I'm like, that's kind of, you know, reckless though, but I guess, so I, I don't know, but moving on, Louis meets with the alderman's lawyer about building that gaming house that he was um, talking about in the first episode of the playing of the card game. And the alderman's lawyer was very condescending and very disrespectful and very, you know, prejudice towards um, Louis and Louis was going, you know, with the whole, um, yes, sir. Um, you know, the no, sir. And the alderman's lawyer was just like, you know, Oh, you, you got brains. I see. And like, you know, he was shocked that a black man could be smart and just, you know, not just smart, but just have a business savvy that, you know, he can hold his own without having somebody white to talk to talk to talk for him. And this scene resonated so much with me because growing up in my small town, 
I used to always, you know, because Louis said it best. It's like when you get to the point where you hear this, you're so used to it that you don't hear the disrespect anymore. You don't hear the condens the condensation um, or, you know, yeah, the you know, just the disrespectful, condescending um, tone that white people take to black people who have who can who are just as smart as they are and growing up my small town and working at my um volunteering at my local library and working at my local library i got that a lot and it got to the point where i too kind of didn't realize what was going on until like late in life when i got to college and one of my friends well my ex was like you know he would see people come up white people come up and talk to me a certain way even black people come up and talk to me a certain way and he was like do you not see how they're talking to you it's very disrespectful and i don't like it and you know so i was like i'm used to it you know i just guess i didn't he said that's the problem you getting so blind to it that you don't realize when you're being disrespected and so having louis break down he called it the exceptional what the um the alderman's lawyer called it the exceptional negro but it's also many terms to go to there it could be one of the good ones you know or you're one of the good ones you know or you're a good black boy and they don't say you know man or you're you know it's just the fact that they say you're a good black whatever and it's kind of it it, it says it to the point where it's like but they're saying when white people say that, and I want people, whether you're white, um, black, or anything like that, when white people say something like that, it's just that they're projecting their prejudice or their racism without actually going there with a hard, you know, N-word or a hard um, whatever. It's just you they have this mentality that black people cannot or are not um, well or they're not educated to no extent that they only know a few things when it comes to culture, when it comes to handling business, when it comes to just thinking for themselves and not having an interpreter there or whatnot. And this, these like, um, you're one of the good ones, exceptional Negroes probably not going to be said around anybody because they might get knocked on their ass today. But, you know, oh, he's a good black boy, you know, or even if they say he's a good boy, it's just the fact of the word boy. It's like it cuts a, a girl or something like that. It, even if they're like in their t- teens or late or early 20s or 20s, it cuts them off. It cuts it, it kind of like cuts them at a level where it's like you can never be on the same level as me as a white man or as a white woman or anything like that. It's just very off-putting. It's very um, what's the other words? Prejudice. It's 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 racism, prejudice. You know, and so glad that they touched on it in this episode. And I'm glad that even though it was kind of reckless on Louis's part, Louis actually um, talks about this and said that the I thought the um, line of the night was um, he decided. Alderman's lawyer decided to deal in fuckery that night and he sat there and just took his ass out. And when he tries to explain to Lestat why he did this, uh, he said, because he said I was good. I, I did a good job. And as Luis, as Luis said, uh, with uh, decades of rage just fueled up in him and 
it was enhanced by this new power that he has because, you know, it's one thing to sit there and talk to a black person that feels like they're powerless, but it's another thing when you talk to somebody of a, a black person who has enough power and enough um, pull to sit there and do something about this disrespect. So a part of me was not mad that Louis took this motherfucker out. I mean, I was just, you know, like, yeah, get his ass. I thought he was going to get him as soon as he turned his back, though, but... Um, he sat to let him go and, you know, off a little way and caught him off guard and took his ass down. Now, Lestat claims that he gets Louis, the, the disrespect Louis is getting, you know, that's how he charmed him into this world. That's how he charmed him into his um, heart, into his, you know, thrall. But Lestat, like, Louis had to break it down. Queer Negro, queer French man queer French white man or queer free, um, um, queer Creole and we you know back and forth and whatnot and it's just like there's a big difference no matter if we get these uh, no matter if we're vampires or not nobody's gonna sit there and um, they're not gonna care if we're vampires because um, they're not gonna care if I'm a, I'm a vampire because they still see that I'm a black man and like I said Lestat doesn't get he, he claims he gets it but he doesn't and I'm glad he kept saying fledgling, fledgling, and I'm glad that Louis sat there and said, yo, you can stop using that word because it started to sound like um, slave, and then he said, that's not what I was going, that's what I was going about, he said, but that's what the fuck it sounded like, you know, and it, it's, it's, you know, he was right, he was right, so, um, I think this, even though they've done, like, a lot of people was kind of worried about the, um, the color or the, the um when well, i said color switch though but the casting of a black man is wrong i think that it it you know it it brings the conversation to a audience that's majority white and they can sit there and see like you know even though louis is a vampire a black vampire he's still struggling as a black man because he has to sit there and deal with all the injustices or the racism and the prejudices that goes on in you know new orleans society at that point in time now, uh, or just in society in general, because anywhere um, Louis could have went, he would have still been dealt with the same mis um, mistreatment and you know disrespect. Even when they went to the uh, what's the the ball, not ball, but to the uh, when they went to the opera, you know, he had to sit there and act as if he was Lestat's um, ballet and just waiting at his every whim and stuff like that. It's just. It's fucked up. <coughs> Excuse me. So they have the, the funny thing about the next scene was when um, Lestat and Louis were in their respective caskets and they're having like a conversation, you know, as if like two a married couple who argue and they had to go to bed together and they just like the uh, one person will wake up in the middle of the night and cut on the light. So, you know what? I don't feel I don't want to go to sleep feeling mad and, you know, like, let's talk it out. You know, what do you want? Like, what's wrong? And then the other person wakes up or like turns up and cuts their light on. But instead, Lestat opens up his casket and asks Louis what, you know, what is that he wants. And then Louis opens up his casket and is like, yeah, I want to buy off this, um, I want to buy off, have my own gaming, you know, place instead of having to pay 15, get paid 15% for labor and all this shit. I just want to own my own shit. But I need your help in that. And so Lestat's like, okay, cool. So they decided to go in business together with, you know, 
and the business popping uh, is popping off for Lestat. I mean, for Louis, who you know wants to pay Lestat back, um, so he can you know not have to be beholden to him financially, even though they're together. Um, but Lestat, I mean, the Louis also mentions that the place was a good place to like you know feed on the uh, revolving door clientele, and you know, very. I, I, it's like all good things must come to an end so i know this is going to be a tragic end to this like somebody in this circle of the alderman and the other businessmen is going to probably try to sit there and um take louis business out because even the alderman was like you know you're walking up you're climbing a tall ladder there and it's kind of like it was a warning of sorts you know like um you know watch your back you know or pretty much you know know your place you know with all this you know um power you're getting and all this you know money and fortune you're getting around here so and this is what i was talking about earlier in, uh, in this episode about the 1912 to 1917 timeline uh, because louis business grew that far and that's five years so um by this time louis has not been home enough to meet his nephews like he hasn't met his twin nephews and Grace just has just had another baby boy who she named Benny. And it's here where um, Grace kind of blames Louie being away from home because of Lestat and all of that. And she's kind of like becoming a little bit less, um, I guess, less with the shits with him, but more along the lines of her mom is like, you know, Family comes before anything. Any type of business you're doing out there, family comes first. And so she kind of tries to um, tone down the tension by offering him some gumbo. And she's going to go fix him a plate while she has him hold his nephew, Benny, for the first time. And he looks like he doesn't know what he's doing. But as soon as she goes to the kitchen, like his lust takes over him. And I was sitting there frightened that, you know, he was actually going to sit there and, like, bite the baby. But then Grace comes back, and then she gives him the plate. But then as she's, you know, getting ready to talk to him again, she hears her crying from upstairs, and it's one of the twins. And so she runs upstairs to take care of them, and she has him hold Benny a little bit longer. And this is where my chest was, like, palpitating out of my heart. And they kind of cut back to... Um, Daniel and uh, uh, I'm sorry, Daniel and Louis at modern times, and Daniel is asking what we're asking, like, um, did you eat the baby? And Louis kept ignoring the question. He kept saying stuff along the lines of like, um, well, how do you say he he mentioned that he never. Um, fed off another person since 2000 since the year 2000 and you know or he never killed another person rather excuse me he never killed another person since the year 2000 and then that day was like okay i don't give a shit i have two questions um you know did you eat the baby and are there other are other vampires out there just as um bloodthirsty as you are and louis is like yeah they're kind of like um they are slaves or like you know enthralled by the blood they're just like you know 
that's, that's what the next kill. And he knows that the pandemic is pretty much a time for them to. No, I think he said they're waiting for they they're, they're tired and restless and want to come out of the shadows. And this is where Daniel asks him, so is that like the pandemic's their answer to like infiltrate or try to turn people? Because they want to he what Louis was saying is that vampires are wanting to expand their numbers. And this is setting the stage for a big ass problem later on down the line. And you know, I'll get to that later. But Louis mentions a vampire in serbia i believe and he says that he's trying to start something called the great conversion now i don't know exactly who that vampire he was referring to i kind of have an inkling who it was but i don't want to just throw it out there because i could be possible i could be so wrong but this is where louis um breaks down you know he still is dodging the question of did he eat the baby or not and this is where Louis is having his next meal, which is an actual human being who comes in and lets him feed off of him so often. And again, it looks as if uh, Malloy is still kind of bothered, but he's trying to like play it off and he's eating whatever the hell he's eating. And so once they get through with this, um, they go back to the story and then Louis reveals that he did not eat his nephew, but he left his nephew um on the floor crying and he vanishes which you know you don't leave a baby on the floor like that and like he could have easily well i don't know if he would have had the strength to sit there and like go to grace probably fangs bared and handed her a baby her handed her a baby back or something like this so grace actually hears the baby like get into hysterics so she runs downstairs and uh, after she had told louie that um, the baby Benny was a quiet baby. She, for her to hear him like whining like that was kind of out of nature. So she ran downstairs to find him on the floor and Louie gone. And God knows how long it was before she even saw Louie again after that. So Louie runs home and he's crying to um, Lestat about how he almost ate his nephew. And he pretty much tells Lestat that he's not cut out for this and he just wants to be thrown into the... Um, incinerator and that Lestat needs to go ahead and find somebody else to be his you know companion and Lestat's like um no you know this is where he puts his charm in again and he's like you know um you know there's no other person out there like you I don't search the world two times over there's no twin out there of you and I mean I just need you to be with me blah 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 and I've kind of you know Laxed on our romance on the romance and he decides to have him go to rome but uh louis is like no i don't want to go to rome because i have business here so instead um lestat said let's go to an opera and so lestat even though he wants louis to like denounce his humanity or the last um, strings of his humanity his connection to the human world is through music and if anybody knows uh, who read the books they would know that Lestat is a big music person you know um, he mentions in the in this scene where before they go to the opera that the opera that was playing that night he remembered I forgot who wrote the opera I forgot the opera's name but he claims to be that had been there 73 years prior when the opera was written so he was very excited about going to this opera. And um, it's, I think, I guess it's one of his favorite um, 
you know, shows or, you know, music um, things. So um, they go, and this is what I mentioned earlier, where um, they have to sh- keep up with appearances with, you know, Louie not being an equal. You know, Lestat keeps saying that they're equals, and Louie kept thinking that they were equals, though, but it just seemed like every time they go out in public outside of Storyville, that was the complete opposite. You know what I'm saying? And so they finally get to Lestat's um, box in the um, opera house, and this is where Lestat tells him that the most scary thing about being a vampire is the loneliness. And how it's just it's how do they how do he put it? It was pretty much um um he pretty much said it's like it's 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 this vast unending um void of sorts, you know, and that he wants Louis to never leave him, never uh, they gotta stick together and for Louis to never to leave him and that they, they gotta, you know, pretty much grow grow into eternity together and whatnot this is where louis asks lestat how many of how many vampires are out there and lestat said about 100 and now 101 and the show begins and louis i mean lestat is enthralled with the music he's enthralled with the i forget what they call the um opera singers the female opera singers though but um she's singing to the point where she's mesmerizing both Louis and Lestat and then the tenor comes out and Lestat is like pissed because this motherfucker cannot sing and he's off key and Lestat bites his finger and presses on those um I guess the note the the um musical notebook each note that the tenor fucked up and Lestat, I mean, Louis was kind of like, he realized that when everybody came up and applauded the show, he said that the audience had a blind ear to what the tenor had did, but Lestat didn't, and Lestat's applause was a mock, was mocking the tenor, which made the, which uh, meant that the hunt was on. So they were getting ready to go. Lestat was like, look, I pretty much Lestat was like, yo, look, yo, this motherfucker done fucked up my damn favorite song. I'm finna go down there and kill this motherfucker. And, you know, Louis is like, nah, 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 don't do that. And then, you know, but, you know, Louis is, is the fledgling in this situation. So Lestat takes this man back to their hotel room. And like Louis said, pretty much um, D derailed him or derailed his confidence, rather like years of confidence in his singing and to the point where the man was second guessing all of his choices when it came to the music he was um singing and whatnot his probably his life as a damn opera singer but his life as an opera singer ended abruptly because Lestat poked him in his neck to the point where he was like you know dead or like dying and Louis was like why'd you do that and then Lestat was like look until you realize that until you realize that you're a killer, you know, when you finally realize that death is this wonderful um, thing to um, experience or to, to um, witness rather. And, uh, you know, pretty much like if, if when you do right, but when you get right, or in other words, when you get right with the, or when you get with the program, things will be a whole lot better for you. I promise, you know, that's pretty much the gist of what he was saying. But 
this is where I go back to the beginning of the episode where they take down the um, traveling salesman. And when Lest- and when Louis took out the Alderman's lawyer, Lestat's main issue was that if you take a, if you take out people of um, prominence, people who are well known in the community, then they're going to be looking for them. It's going to draw attention and whatnot. What did he think that this tenor was going to do? You know, I might. So it, it, it kind of came to me as if like Lestat is doing uh do as I say, not as I do type situation. It's like, you know, situation like, you know, yeah, you can't kill anybody um, of prominence because, you know, they're going to be hunting and everything like that for the person who did this. And it's going to be a lot of questions being asked and whatnot. But I can, you know, and it doesn't seem fair. And it also shows another level of that so-called equalness that's supposed to be between the both of them. It's not there. And a part of me wonders if Lestat was telling Louis that because Louis is is, is black and that people would be like, oh, well, you're, whether you were the last person seen with, um, this character or this person of you know no, like you last seen with the Alderman um lawyer what happened you know they depended on him but you know even though Lestat said in the early part of the episode that the um police are like very lazy about how to handle business in that particular area but I bet you when it came to a black person and a missing white person it would be a totally different situation so a part of me was trying to figure out if Lestat was doing this because, you know, of the race difference between the both of them, or if he's just being what his true name is, the Brat Prince. Was he just being like, you can't do what I do, you know? We're equal, but you can't do what I do at this point. You're not on my level yet, you know? I'm still the um, educator, and you're still the pupil. And it's just, you know, there's never a level of... Um, there's a falsehood of equal um, um, footing with the two of them. And I think um, Louis said it even best. He said, even though he knew that Louis um, Lestat didn't pick him to be, to run, like step on him like a rug, he still felt a sort of idolation on his part, you know? And I feel that, this is why I mentioned at the beginning of the episode, this is a toxic situation because even though it is, I mean, some people might be like, how can you say this is a toxic um, situation if Louis is trying to learn, if Lestat's trying to um, educate Louis on being a vampire and whatnot, but it's kind of like you can only do so. I mean, we get that, but it can only go so far. It's kind of like, so when does the um, education end and when does the, um, what's the word I'm looking for? When does the education end and when does the um, relationship begin? You know what I'm saying? Because, or rather, you know, I don't know. I mean, it's just, it's, I just feel like this is, I mean, everybody who was read interview the vampire who was just, um, um, I mean, aware of the story, who seen the movie, you know, they could tell that this was a toxic. They they say that you know this is a toxic situation, so I don't have to even explain deeply about that because that's just a well known fact amongst the um community. But um, 
Lestat is that toxic boyfriend who charms his way into your life and then reveals his true nature. But at the end of the day, you cannot help but love him. And that's only because it's part thrall and it's just part like I have nowhere else to go. You know what I'm saying? Like, I don't know what I'm doing. Therefore, I I am beholden to you because I have nobody. I don't like him. Louis asking, like, how many of us are there out there? And, you know, like, I don't have anybody else to go to to learn about this. That's not trying to, you know, one minute woo me and then wants me to cut my family off to be just beholden to just just be with him, you know. So it's it's toxic. It's 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 like basic toxic it's uh textbook toxic um, relationship behavior so um this leads me to the end of the episode where daniel um what louis explains that you know he is still you know in the first because louis said it best in the first years of the relationship lestat was very charming and very you know you know, a good guy. It's just, you know, that's the, that's the basis of every type of toxic relationship when it goes south. It starts off, with, oh, but they were good at first, but then all of a sudden, you know, so, but looking at the episode as a whole at this point in the relationship between Louis and Lestat, whether it's romanticized or whether it's student, um, a, a student teacher whether it's fledgling master, it still is a bit of unevenness in it. You would think that, understandably, in the student um, um, teacher, um, how do I say, student teacher, master fledgling situation, that you know you get that to a certain extent because I have to learn everything that I need to know. I'm just a baby vampire. I'm just as Louis said. I am a bird in Lestat's nest you know my baby bird in Lestat's nest you know I'm a baby but when does all that end and when and like are they truly equals in the relationship the the, the romantic part you know what I'm saying um because even though Louis is holding his own as a man in terms of like putting his foot down when he says no I don't like that you know he's not completely you know bent to um Lestat's will but it's just more along the lines of you know I'm going to do what I can to you know make you happy I don't want to make you upset and this goes back to another situation with the relationships where it's like when somebody is when I'm when you're in a relationship with somebody and you do things where the other person probably enjoys doing a specific act or a specific activity and you don't so you constantly like fake it as if you like doing it. But then at the end of the day, you really don't care about doing it, but you're just trying to make them happy. That's a toxic kind of like, you know, type of behavior, you know, and it's just like, no matter how much you tell them, I don't like doing this. They're going to be like, oh, well, they might have a temper tantrum of some sort. And then, you know, it's just be like, oh, well, instead of me causing issues or being a problem, I'm just going to go with the flow of things. And that's not necessarily always healthy. It's not, I don't say it's always healthy. It's not healthy in my personal opinion. So, which brings me to the end of the episode where um, Louis mentions to Daniel about um, him get like he tries to, um, he keeps a thread to the humanity that he does by trying to eat at least one human dish of, uh, week 
and the dish that he picks is the dish that um, Daniel mentioned in his autobiography about, you know, it, it was a dish, it was a um, dessert that he had after he proposed to his wife. And he mentioned that his wife um, had this uh, half of his, half of her eyebrow was um, one color. Another half was a different color. I think her one half of her eyebrow was brown. The other half was black. So she would always dye the eyebrow fully black. And he said that he didn't like when she did that because he liked it the way it was. And to me, um, I think that's true love. It's just that when you don't try to change something on change something about someone, you just accept them for who they are. So this is one of the reasons why I feel that um, now I don't know if because I think that um, Daniel had a couple of divorces, but the the point being is that when you go into a relationship with somebody and the first thing you do is try to change everything about them or change stuff about them that you don't like, then it's kind of like you're going to have problems. So um, Lestat saying that he loves Louie and all this stuff, but he's trying to like, you know, turn him into another version of him where he is, you know, not reckless, but just, you know, he charms people to get what he wants and he has no um, he has no problem cutting off human life, you know, to get what he wants. And that's just not who Louis is. And even though Louis called himself a botched vampire, um, I just think that Louis by him again, this is something that if you're not familiar with the works of, um, the other books in the Vampire Chronicles um, series, mostly um, narrated by Lestat, that you would know that Lestat is just not, I won't say he's a, well, you could say he's a sociopath to a certain degree, but um, he just doesn't have a connection to humanity. And I think that's because he was detached from it before he, like for so long, um, with this maker and like he didn't know who his maker was and he had to sit there and find his way through all of you know the vampire world himself and so it's just a world view that he has and this is just something that he does not share with uh, that that's that's something that Louis does not share with him because like I said at the beginning of the episode Louis is very sociable even though you know he don't want people in his business like that because you know he's a closeted gay man but he's still sociable to the point where you know he's he's a family man he the only reason why he does does what he does is what he tells himself so he can sit there and um um take care of his family and so he's a family he's a, he's he's like the quintessential human and trying to start trying to break that is akin to him trying to uh, pretty much die or like eradicate that other side of Louie that, you know, he doesn't like, you know, like uh, this is a problem. We need to fix it. And this is why I felt that Daniel Malloy's last um, piece of um, dialogue sticks out you know so like this isn't love that you're that you experienced but okay whatever let's move on to the next topic <laughs> so um that was the pretty much the episode and again i felt that this was just as good as the first episode and 
I'm just enthralled with this world that they're building and the social commentary that they're talking about and keeping it modern without losing the, I won't say nostalgic because there's nothing nostalgic about being in the early twenties as a black gay man, but um, just keeping it true to the, I guess, time period, but not to the point where it's very like, um, West, I'm going to call it um, racial trigger porn or something like that. It's very well written. It's very well, you know, the dialogue is magical. I, I mean, I, um, it's just exquisite. And I love the chemistry between Louis and Lestat. I think Sam Reed and Jacob Anderson, are, they got the great, the right people to uh, play those roles. Um, I like the little small, you know, nuances between them like when Lestat's going on and on about going to Paris or going to um, Rome or doing this or, or this opera or something like that and while he's doing all this you know Louis is sitting here like yo I just tried to eat my nephew like the fuck you talking about right now but it's instead of Lestat instead of Louis being like you know you're being very like you know blah 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 to me it's just like kind of Louis got to the point where he's like you know that's Lestat you know what I'm saying like that's him you know he just you know it's, it was kind of like a funny thing you know he kind of but in a way kind of like brought Louis out of his funk but at the same time it was just you know great chemistry between the both of them and I I don't know it just I would love to be in front of both of them as they do a scene and just be like oh, that was just so beautiful you know I want to be a a boom operator or something and maybe just by the time they get through with their scene, I'll probably be in tears or just like completely turned on and whatnot. I don't know. I just love the both of them. Um, I'm thinking that next week we might meet Claudia for the first time. I'm kind of nervous about that because I don't want what I thought that the first season was going to do was going to, this is my prediction for the end of the season. Um, to throw this out here. I think, or I'd rather want, I'm going to say I want, or rather, it would be best for them to, if you're familiar with the movie and the book, uh, spoiler alert for those who are not, you probably want to fast forward or just end the episode here. Like and subscribe and retweet if you want to dip out right here. Um, the I wanted the season finale to end with Lestat, Louis and Claudia rebelling against Lestat, thinking that they've taken him out and then running off to um, Paris, which is, which is where they meet the Theater of the Vampires. Um, and then season two starting off with just Louis and Cla uh, Claudia being in Paris with the Theater of Vampires and whatever happens after that, you know. I don't want them to try to wrap up this entire story in um, – the last eight episodes and then they say season two is going to be kind of like the beginning of the vampire lestat or something like that i hope that's not the case i hope they do interview the vampire like a two season show maybe and then do the vampire lestat maybe two seasons maybe give the queen of the damned three seasons maybe and so on that way you can keep the um or you could probably do another show because I think some of the other um, novels take place mostly in the past. So maybe have another show going on concurrently. Maybe the Vampire Amon could be going on while all of this other stuff is plot, um, um, 
while everything else in the modern era of the Vampire Chronicles is playing out, like Take the Vampire Armand and I think the Marius book is called Blood and Gold, um, Pandora and Victoria the Vampire, like how those play out in their time periods. That way, when they, instead of you waiting 10 years down the line to come up with um, that book and that, that actor or actress has aged a little bit, that way you can keep all of them um, within the same age range and you can like have them bounce between different shows and whatnot. I mean, if you can sit there and have six damn Walking Dead spinoffs, I think you can do the same thing with the Vampire Chronicles. Um, so those are my thoughts for the um, second episode which is called oh, sorry I had to sit there like after the phantoms of your former self which is a which is an appropriate name because you know Louis is chasing the phantoms of his former self throughout the episode and he's failing miserably but um I feel that if he didn't have Lestat I'm not gonna say Lestat's the problem per se I just think it's mostly both him having to deal trying to figure out how to deal with this and Lestat being like that person in his ear saying like you know cut your family off cut your family off and then Louis being like no I don't want to cut my family off but Lestat finding ways for Louis to just be distant from his family without actually being like you know blatant about it you know so it's kind of you know the, the, the episode title is fitting is what I'm trying to say so I enjoyed the episode like I said it was beautiful um I love the acting. I am eager to see how this plays out down the line. I saw the snippets for the new episode, and it seems like Louis is going to get another love of sorts, and I think Lestat is as well. So this might be somewhat of a filler episode. I don't want to call it a filler episode because there's so much story to be told between, you know, the vampire and the interviewer. So they can come up with anything and it will still feel like it fits. So until next week, um, check me out on Twitter. Um, my screen name on Twitter is the anti-critic. You can find me on Instagram at Marco Estes or midnight social distortion. All one word on Instagram, both all one word. And then you can also find me on Facebook. Um, if you can find me on there, that'd be great. I'm trying to, clean my facebook off to have more horror fans and people who are horror friendly and not too many family members who are sitting there questioning everything i post so if you can find me on facebook probably go through other horror um content creators uh or rather other horror black other black horror content creators you maybe can find me through those people like people under the scares um, Girl That's Scary, um, Nightmare on Fear Street, you know, those type of people. Um, Real Queen of Horror, Xena, love you. And um, you can also find me starting this Wednesday on Screen Kings, which is where myself, Tamon Kane of TK Publishing, um, Bobby Torres of Bobby Likes the Spooky and People Under the Scares, and Mike Brown of People Under the Scares, we're going to get together and give you our take on horror, our um, unique takes on horror, uh, four different unique takes. And it's going to, you know, be a weekly show on YouTube. And the name again is Scream Kings and it's Kings with a Z. And you can find us on YouTube and our show premieres 
Wednesday night at 8 o'clock Eastern Time. So hopefully you guys come in and tune in for that. Hopefully you come in and tune in for the next episode of Midnight Social Distortion. And until then, stay spooky.